fascinating facts, candid conversations, and some levity to lighten your day. This is The Kale Clark Show on Relevant Radio. It is Tuesday. It is the 19th of December, and I'm so glad you're with me here on The Kale Clark Show on Relevant Radio. 888-914-9149 is the number to call to talk to me for free. Our listener line, sponsored by the Catholic Order of Foresters Life Insurance, 888-914-9149. You can also follow me on the X app, at Kale Clark, C-A-L-E, Clark with an E, or you can send me an email, and the address is Kale, C-A-L-E, at relevantradio.com. Great place to become a shadow producer. You can send me a show idea or two, something you think I might have a take on, I can comment on. Hey, you know who sent me an idea today? None other than Father Rocky himself. And when the boss sends you an email, you better read it. You better pay attention to it. He sent me a really interesting story about the plight of Jimmy Lai. Now, if you don't know about Jimmy Lai, this is an incredible story. He is a Catholic. He is on trial. In this is this is really for this is for free speech. This is for Hong Kong. This is a a battle against communism. This is unbelievable. And you're going to want to hear this story coming up later in this show. Once again, the number to call, 888-914-9149. So good to be back. I just got back from Chicago. I was in town at the worldwide headquarters of Relevant Radio in Lincolnshire. We had our annual Christmas party. It was a lot of fun to see everybody there. And I also got to do something that I've always wanted to do, which is attend Mass at St. John Cantius Church in Chicago. And Chicago has so many great historical Catholic churches, and a lot of relevant radio staffers, by the way, attend that parish. And and wow, I got to attend the High Latin Mass on Sunday before I came home, and it was unbelievable. It was absolutely unbelievable. And speaking of this past Sunday, of course, it was Gaudete Sunday, the Rejoicing Sunday, the Sunday of the Rose Vestments, and, you know, let's face it, they're pink. So priests like to say, hey, it's really it's not really pink, it's salmon, And uh, salmon, of course, are very strong fish. They have to swim against the current. The only salmon that you see floating downstream are dead. So got to be strong, got to be tough. It's a a way of kind of, in a manly way, trying to deal with this rose color. But it obviously means rejoicing, so we'll talk about that as well. Because how in the world can we rejoice in suffering? How in the world can a Catholic like Jimmy Lai, incredible uh, convert to Catholicism, how can he rejoice while he's in a prison cell? And he really didn't even have to be there. This is, this is the interesting thing. He's choosing to be in prison. And you'll hear his story in just a moment. Well, somebody else who uh, really was uh, not afraid of prison, not afraid of death, not afraid of suffering for the truth was, of course, John the Baptizer, better known as John the Baptist. And in today's uh, reading, of course, from the Gospel, uh, we hear an incredible take uh, from Luke's Gospel, on really the Annunciation to the father of John the Baptist, and that is, of course, Zechariah. Yep, there are two Annunciations in the Gospel of Luke. There's the one to Mary, but before that, there's the Annunciation to Zechariah. And things turn out a little bit differently uh, when, when Gabriel appears to to Zechariah. Now, we, ha- we see this, of course, in Luke chapter 1, uh, starting with verse 5, and this is today's Gospel reading. It says, In the days of Herod, the king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah of the priestly division division of Abijah. His wife was from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. Both were righteous in the eyes of God, observing all the commandments and ordinances of the Lord blamelessly. 
but they had no child because Elizabeth was barren and both were advanced in years. Once when he was serving as priest in his division's term before God, according to the practice of the priestly service, he was chosen by lot to enter the sanctuary of the Lord to burn incense. Then when the whole assembly of the people was praying outside at the hour of the incense offering, the angel of the Lord appeared to him standing at the right of the altar of incense. Zechariah was troubled by what he saw, and fear came upon him, but the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, because your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall name him John. And you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He will drink neither wine nor strong drink. He will be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. He will go before them in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of fathers toward children and the disobedient to the understanding of the righteous to prepare a people fit for the Lord. Then Zechariah said to the angel, How shall I know this? For I am an old man, and my wife is advanced in years. And the angel said to him in reply, I am Gabriel, who stand before God. I was sent to speak to you and to announce to you this good news, but now you will be speechless and unable to talk until the day these things take place, because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled at their proper time. Meanwhile, the people were waiting for Zechariah and were amazed that he stayed so long in the sanctuary. But when he came out, he was unable to speak to them, and they realized that he had seen a vision in the sanctuary. He was gesturing to them, but remained mute. Then, when his days of ministry were completed, he went home. After this time, his wife Elizabeth conceived, and she went into seclusion for five months, saying, So has the Lord done for me at a time when he has seen fit to take away my disgrace before others. Now, why, why was this annunciation to Zechariah different from the annunciation of Gabriel to Mary? Well, Mary believed. She had faith, never doubted. She was just asking questions, how is this going to happen? But Zechariah was a little bit different. He had some major league doubts, and I just love Gabriel's response. Hey, how am I supposed to know this is going to happen? And the archangel says, hey, dude, I'm Gabriel. Come on. I stand in the presence of God. You got, you got to buy into this. And Dr. Edward Sri, a great biblical scholar, he has a really nice piece on this in his book, Dawn of the Messiah. And he, he really talks about how Luke and his gospel is a little bit like William Shakespeare, because just like in every Shakespearean play, there's some minor characters who appear on the scene uh, before, of course, the lead roles take the stage. And that's kind of what's going on here. Before the Annunciation to Mary, before we hear about St. Joseph, before we find out about the conception and birth of Christ, we see here this very opening scene in Luke's gospel. And the supporting cast is actually pretty crucial, Zechariah and Elizabeth. And they're an older couple. And it's, it, this is something for, for a lot of you guys out there to listen to as well. Some of you might be seniors. Some of you might be saying, ah, my best years are behind me. I, I'm just kind of playing out the string. No, God can get a hold of you. And God wants to use you still right now. As long as you're breathing, God's got a plan for you. Believe me. So uh, don't despair. And that's exactly what happened to Zechariah and Elizabeth in their golden years. God did something that they never would have imagined possible. And one of the things that, that uh, Elizabeth said here, of course, uh, in, in the gospel 
is that when she got pregnant, uh, she said, the Lord has seen fit to take away my disgrace before others. Now, why would she say that? There's, there's no shame in that. Well, unfortunately, in the ancient world, people really didn't under, uh, understand the, the science and the biology of, of infertility. And so these, these guys, Zechariah and Elizabeth, they were, they had like major, I mean, they bona fides. They were, they were absolutely, as, as Dr. Edward Sri says, they, they had high credentials in first century Judaism because Zechariah, of course, was a priest. His wife was from the priestly tribe of Aaron. I mean, this, this is major league. And so they, they held a lot of respect among the people. And Luke even says, hey, they were righteous before God. They weren't living sinful lifestyles. In fact, he says they were blameless in following the commandments. That's why it's so shocking for people in the first century world to, to read what Luke writes, that they had no child. Elizabeth was barren. Both were advanced in years. Unfortunately, in, in the first century world, if a woman was barren, it was often seen as a punishment from God. If she was unable to conceive and bear a child. It was, it was always the woman's fault. It, was, it wasn't fair at all, but... So I was like, There's, there must be something going on here, maybe some secret sin, maybe God is kind of uh, smiting her for, for something she's done. And you can read about this in Deuteronomy chapter 28, verse 15. But we know, and Luke kind of tips us off to the fact that it, it's not because, it's not her fault. Uh, God, this isn't a punishment. In fact, this was all a setup for what God wants to do in their lives and the incredible a son that they're going to have. So, and, and by the way, they're not the first couple, holy couple uh, in the Bible that this has happened to. We, we think about Sarah, of course, <laughs> who laughed when uh, when God said, hey, you're going to have a son. Yeah, very funny, God. I'm, I'm, I'm pretty old now, don't you know? Uh, Rachel, we think of Hannah. And these are great matriarchs from the old covenant time. And Elizabeth kind of joins them in, in this out of the ordinary. This isn't, a, this isn't quite like the conception of Christ in the womb of the Virgin. This, this is a natural conception through normal marital relations, but nonetheless, she's well past her childbearing age, so God is involved big time. And so I, I really think that this is a, also amazing, too, to think about, and, and this is the great, the great literary artistry of Luke. You ever wonder why Zechariah was on duty at this particular time. It says it fell to him by lot. In other words, kind of like drawing straws, if you will, why he was on duty in the temple at that time. It's kind of interesting because when you look at the Acts of the Apostles, uh, it, it's an incredible thing that Luke says. When, when, Ju when Judas, of course, betrays Jesus, goes to his own place, which is not, not, a, not a real good place, obviously, they've got to replace him. There has to be 12 apostles because the church is Israel renewed. And this time it's made up of Jews and Gentiles in the church. So there's got to be a 12th apostle. So they have to somehow replace Judas. And that's the first order of business in the church after Easter. And so what's kind of interesting is that when it talks about in Acts chapter 1, don't forget Luke wrote the book of Acts too. So it's a two-volume set, the Gospel of Luke, the Acts of the Apostles. Luke writes a quarter of the New Testament all by himself. It's impressive stuff. And so Matthias is chosen to replace Judas. And people read it, and they, they, they think it's kind of weird that the apostles draw straws, if you will. They, they cast lots to figure out who's going to replace Judas. And there's, there's a couple of guys who are, who are in play. There was Joseph called, called Barsabbas. He also went by the name Justice. And there was Matthias. And they were both kind of holy guys. 
good candidates, and they prayed. It says in Acts chapter one, and they, they said, Lord, you know the hearts of all men. Show which one of us, which one of these two you've chosen to take the place in this ministry and apostleship from which Judas turned aside to go to his own place, and they cast lots for them. And the lot fell on Matthias, and he was enrolled with the eleven apostles. Now, why am I making a big deal out of this? Because this is the exact same method by which Zechariah was chosen to be on duty as a priest in the temple by casting lots. So what's Luke trying to say here? When Matthias is chosen as the new 12th apostle, he's basically saying, hey, the apostles are priests because there are a lot of people, a lot of non-Catholics who say there's no such thing as a ministerial priesthood in the new covenant. We all are priests of Jesus Christ. We all are a royal priesthood in Jesus. And the Catholic Church would say, yeah, we believe that too. By our baptism, we share in the offices of Christ, the threefold office, priest, prophet, and king. However, however, just as Israel as a nation was a royal priesthood, a holy nation, there was still that tribe, the tribe of Levi, the priests that had a ministerial priesthood. We say, listen, in the Catholic Church, even though we're all baptized, we all kind of share in the priesthood of Christ in a general way, they're still ministerial priests. And so by that, that subtle little uh, note that Luke brings to the table, that they cast lots to choose the new priest apostle, this is exactly how Zechariah was chosen in the temple. So the yes, there is a priesthood, a ministerial priesthood in the Catholic Church. Anyways, I just thought you might find that interesting. So Zechariah is there, and he got to do something that you only got to do this one time in your life if you were a priest. Deal with the holy smoke. <laughs> it fell by him to Lot, not only to enter the temple of the Lord, but to burn incense. And, and once, you, once you did this once, you could only do it that one time, and then that was it. That was it. So you represent all of Israel, and you pray on behalf of all the people at the evening sacrifice. There's also a morning sacrifice as well. So this is really cool. The priest got to go into the altar of incense. This is uh, in the holy place. And that's the second holiest place in the temple. Of course, you know the Holy of Holies, where the Ark of the Covenant was. The high priest could only go in there one day of the year, the Day of Atonement, Yom Kippur. And so this is like the next best thing, essentially, that Zechariah got to do. So he got to do this, which is amazing, but he was not expecting something even more amazing that was about to happen. The Archangel Gabriel was standing right there. You're listening to the Kale Clark Show on Relevant Radio. Zechariah was troubled when he saw him, when he saw Gabriel, as, as anybody would be. Everybody's afraid when they see an angel. And of course, the response is always, do not be afraid. Zechariah, your prayer is heard. Your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son. He goes on and, and says all this stuff. And then, of course, Zechariah is like, well, how do I know this is going to happen? He's like, I'm Gabriel. I am absolutely Gabriel. Dude, you should believe me. I, I, you, you've been touched by an angel here. You've got to believe me. So this, this is really interesting. Now, one of, the, one of the things that, and I talked about this um, a few days ago uh, on, on The Faith Explained because somebody asked me a question about this in our Q&A segment. Why should Zechariah have known a little bit better? Not just because he's talking to an archangel, but don't forget, this is something that he should have known just simply by, by being familiar with the Old Covenant Scriptures. Because when's another time that Gabriel appeared in the Old Covenants in the book of Daniel? This is amazing. In the book of Daniel, there's some really bad things going on here. And Daniel is praying 
that God would show mercy to his people. They're suffering under oppression, foreign oppressors. And this is exactly what's going on, by the way, at this time in Israel, because the Romans, of course, are occupying the Holy Land, and many people were praying that the Messiah would come, kick out the Romans, and kind of start a holy war, if you will. That's not what God had in mind for the Messiah, obviously. But it's interesting that in the book of Daniel, Daniel is praying in chapter 9, and then Gabriel appears to him. When? At the hour of the evening sacrifice, the exact time when Zechariah was there offering incense in the temple. And in Daniel's book, Gabriel has this message of good news. Well, it's kind of a good news and bad news message. The good news is that God is going to save his people. The bad news is that they're going to have to suffer under pagan nations for a little bit. In fact, maybe a really long time. But God was going to eventually send an anointed prince known as the Messiah to bring an end to sin, atone for iniquity, and this anointed one is going to usher into everlasting righteousness all of the people of Israel, bring all of the prophecies to fulfillment. So th- this, this is something that Zechariah should have known, and this should have been in the background of his thinking, oh, these prophecies made to the prophet Daniel by the prophet Daniel, are gotcha going to be fulfilled right now. So this is pretty cool stuff. And then, as Dr. Sri says, Gabriel kind of sends Zechariah on a silent retreat, you know, a forced silent retreat. And you didn't believe me, so you're not going to be able to say anything until these things are fulfilled. So that was that. He had a lot of time to think about this and a lot of time to reconsider the message of Gabriel. And of course, John was born, you know the rest. So it's really kind of an interesting um, thing because the child that Zechariah and Elizabeth had, of course, John the baptizer, was the forerunner of our Lord. And he had to suffer an awful lot because of the Messiah. In fact, he gave his life for the truth of the Messiah, especially when it came to to the teaching on marriage. He was thrown into Herod's prison fortress at Machaerus, And, of course, he gave his life because he defended the truth of marriage. Herod, of course, had uh, split with his lawfully wedded wife and taken up with his brother's wife. That was uncool and also immoral, obviously. And that's it's kind of poetic because John is, of course, the friend of the bridegroom. He's kind of the best man. He, he is He's there to serve the divine bridegroom, Jesus. And he... He winds up teaching and defending the truth about marriage, and and that's what the best man did, and he gave his life for it. And it's very, very eerie that this gospel is read on a day and during this week when another witness of Jesus Christ, Jimmy Lai, who you may not have heard about, but this is an incredible story that Father Rocky sent to me. I'll share it with you after the break. He is on trial, probably for his life, right now, you're listening to The Kale Clark Show, and we'll be right back with that and much more. 888-914-9149. Be right back. Faith, facts, and fun. It's the Kale Clark Show on Relevant Radio. Hey, welcome back to the program. Got some faith and facts for you right now. As I mentioned off the top, 
Father Rocky emailed me an incredible article. I have to share this with you, and uh, thank you very much, Father, for doing that. If you want to send me an email, the address is kale, C-A-L-E, at relevantradio.com. And, of course, you can call into the program right now, 888 The article is from the Wall Street Journal, yesterday's edition, written by William McGurn, Bill McGurn, he's a, a member of the Wall Street Journal editorial board. He's also a former presidential speechwriter for President George W. Bush. And he is also the godfather of none other than Jimmy Lai. Now, if you are not familiar with Jimmy Lai, I'm going to tell you who he is and give you his background in just a moment. But he is on trial right now in Hong Kong on national security charges. This is incredibly serious and is... Uh, William McGurn says in his article uh, in the Wall Street Journal, you would think that Jimmy Lai was the leader of Hamas, other than a former newspaper owner with a heavy police presence. I mean, this guy is being treated like he's the most dangerous man on planet Earth. And uh, why is he such a, an important figure? Well, just a little bit of his background. Um, he's a Hong Kong businessman. He was also involved in politics. In the past, he founded an Asian clothing retailer called Giordano, and uh, he also founded Next Digital, which is a, a media company that was listed in Hong Kong. He's probably best known now, though, for founding the popular newspaper Apple Daily, which has nothing to do uh, with products coming out of Cupertino, California. He is actually a, a major force for free speech, pro-democracy, and has been a, a very, very prominent figure in the Hong Kong political scene, even though he's actually he's actually a, uh, a UK citizen, and he has been a UK national since uh, 1996. More on that in just a minute. He's also a noted art collector, but he's been a prominent critic for many, many years of the CCP, the Chinese Communist Party, and he was actually arrested back on the 10th of August in 2020. Uh, just remember those days when COVID was just getting going? Uh, the Hong Kong police arrested him because, remember, the, the changeover. Hong Kong, of course, uh, belonged to the British, and the, the transfer over to, uh, uh, to mainland China happened, of course, around that time, and uh, actually a few years before that time. But he, he was charged by the Hong Kong police on violating the territory's new national security law. And, and people around the world were, were highly critical that he was uh, arrested so he spent more than a thousand days in prison, pre-trial detention, awaiting uh, his turn in court, which actually is happening this week. But it is a kangaroo court, and it, the deck is stacked against him. We'll, we'll share with you more on that in just a moment. But um, at any rate, uh, back in 2019, um, U.S. Vice President uh, Mike Pence, Secretary of, Secretary of State at the time Mike Pompeo, uh, John Bolton, who was the national security advisor at that point, uh, met with Jimmy Lai. And Jimmy Lai said at that point, we in Hong Kong are fighting for the shared values of the U.S. against China. We're fighting their war in the enemy camp. And he was actually awarded in December, the, uh, December of 2020, after he had been arrested, the Freedom of the Press Award by Reporters Without Borders. Uh, and that was for his role in founding Apple Daily, um, and it really, a lot of pro-democracy articles took place there, and he was involved in a lot of the big rallies that took place uh, in Hong Kong. So let me let me get to this piece. Um, now you got some background on Jimmy Lai, who, by the way, is a convert to Catholicism. It's it's incredible his story of faith as well. 
And William McGurn, who again is his godfather in the faith, has talked about um, in yesterday's Wall Street Journal the witness of Jimmy Lai. He talks about his stand for free speech and the fact that Apple Daily, Jimmy Lai's newspaper, was seized without a court order, without any kind of judgment. It was just taken away from him. And he's, he's, of course, been a champion for economic liberty. And Hong Kong was the most prosperous Chinese society the world has ever known. And there's one more thing that, that animates Jimmy Lai, not only his, his witness for free speech, for democracy, but also his faith. And uh, he wasn't always a believer, but in 1997... He was, uh, just a week after Hong Kong was handed back to China, he was received into the Catholic Church. And who actually baptized him? Cardinal Joseph Zen. And you might have heard of Cardinal Zen. He himself was arrested by the government. And he was, in fact, in court this Monday, according to William McGurn, to show support for Jimmy Lai, who is his brother in the faith. Uh, So... Cardinal Zen has actually been visiting Jimmy Lai very, very often. And in fact, um, McGurn is reporting that a lot of people who have been jailed in Hong Kong for their pro-democracy activities have actually been baptized in prison. And this has not really been reported, but um, what is Jimmy doing in prison? The interesting thing is he, he doesn't even have to be there. He could have avoided all of this. Jimmy Lai is worth billions of dollars. And he is a UK national. He has British citizenship. He could have left. He could have gone to Japan. He could have flown to the UK. He could have gone to any country in the world uh, prior to his arrest and avoided all of this. But he chose to go to prison on purpose. This is unbelievable. And this is one of the most intriguing things about him. So what's he been doing in prison? Well, he's been doing a lot of praying. He's also been drawing uh, he's become a bit of an artist, and in the Wall Street Journal, there's actually an image of uh, a pencil drawing. Just to, you know, all he has in prison is some line paper, a pencil, and he he drew an image of the crucifixion uh, soon after he was incarcerated. Uh, this is in early 2021, and uh, this actually there's an image of this that appears in the Wall Street Journal article. So he's been doing that. Um, he, actually, that was recently taken away from him because the authorities have. Uh, seeing this as a threat, the fact that he's drawing pictures of our Lord. So he's not allowed to share this with anybody anymore. But he also has a, a wife named Teresa. Jimmy Lai's wife, Teresa, actually told Jimmy when he was arrested that she knew that w- the moment that she, she got married to him, she realized that a day like this might come. And she said to him, Jimmy, I'm your wife, and I'm going to walk this journey with you every step of the way. But you have to pick up your cross, and you have to embrace it. Now, also, just before he was arrested, um, Jimmy Lai actually did a podcast with uh, the former Soviet refusenik Natan Sharansky. Now, this is a month before Jimmy was arrested. This was in November of 2020. It's interesting. I don't, I don't know much about Sharansky, but Jimmy was, uh, according to William McGurn, he was kind of stealing himself for his own imprisonment. And during this podcast, he talked about how Mr. Natan Sharansky, when he was resisting, he drew strength for, from really two sources, faith and also the love of his wife. And that's exactly what Jimmy Lai has done as well. So they talked about, uh, and Sharansky said to, uh, to Jimmy, you know, you've got to never back down. You've got to decide that even if you have to go to prison, 
You've got to live as a free man, even when you're incarcerated. You've got to reject the lies pushed by the government. And he actually told him that if you, ha- if you have this burden, if you, if you do go to prison for this, consider it a blessing. Consider it a blessing. And this is kind of interesting because this past Sunday, Gaudete Sunday, there's this note of joy as we're getting closer and closer to the birth of Christ. St. Paul writes his letter to the Philippians, which is a letter of great joy. It's one of his prison letters. And if your God is not strong enough to give you joy, and if you can't have freedom even in a prison cell, then you've got to get a different God. You don't have the right God. You don't have the true God. But we in the church clearly do, and Jimmy does as well, obviously. So, Sharansky said to Jimmy, I wish you strength and will in your trials ahead. But again, think of your burden that you're going to have to face as a blessing. He said, quote, if you were chosen by the faith, by God, by your people, to lead and to be the example of this moment, it's a great responsibility, but it's also a great joy. So enjoy it. Enjoy it. So, well, how can you do that? How can, how can you enjoy prison? Nobody, nobody can possibly enjoy prison. Well, there's certainly no way that you can enjoy it, so to speak, in a, in a natural way, in, in a human way of looking at things. But you can enjoy it in a supernatural and superhuman sense. It's, it's interesting, too, that um, William McGurn wrote this in, in the piece. This is a great line. He said, witness without cost is virtue signaling. Witness without cost is nothing more than virtue signaling. And there's a lot of virtue signaling going on in today's culture and political scene, but not a lot of people willing to pay the cost of discipleship. To use a line from Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who stood up to Hitler during World War II, Protestant minister, you probably know his story, he was martyred. And he wrote this famous book called The Cost of Discipleship. And uh, what passes for Christianity these days is a, is a cheapened version of the faith, faith that has no cost. But Jimmy Lai is certainly paying the cost right now. And, and, and people just don't get it. People don't understand why he wouldn't avoid this. He could have done this. He's worth, again, hundreds of billions of dollars. He could have gone to Tokyo. He has a home in Tokyo. He could have gone to Paris. He's got a home in Paris. Why wouldn't he go there? Why would he freely enter into a prison cell, solitary confinement, by the way? Um, he's been betrayed by many of his former associates at the newspaper, Apple Daily. In fact, about six of them have testified against them. And let's face it, they were probably coerced, by the way. One, in their fact, the Washington Post just the other day published a story about one of his associates who was arrested and tortured by military police and, and essentially forced to testify against Jimmy Lai in this trial that's happening. <laughs> so this, this idea of how can you enjoy the, the suffering... This is um this is intriguing because um, Dr. Pius Parsh wrote, wrote a little piece about this for the third Sunday of Advent, Gaudete Sunday, many, many years ago. And he wrote about it in, in the light of this, he kind of couched it as an imaginary conversation that he was having with Holy Mother Church. How, how can you, as St. Paul said uh, in the reading from, Sunday, from Sunday's Mass, how can you rejoice in the Lord always, even under persecution, even in prison? How can you rejoice no matter what's going on? And, and, and Dr. Pius Parsh wrote, you know, Dear Mother Church, do you not see the distress of so many thousands who are suffering, who are starving? Do you not see the sad state of all those souls who cause you and other streams of tears? Are you blind to all the grief upon this earth? How then can one rejoice 
So Mother, Holy Mother Church responds by saying, Dear children, I do see it all, and I know suffering better than any of you do. My motherly heart feels each shaft of pain that afflicts my children or that my children cause me. That's kind of an interesting line because all you moms who are listening out there know that there's no greater pain that you can face than, than when your child actually causes pain to you, especially if it's intentional. Uh, this, this is kind of interesting, this idea of Holy Mother Church saying, my motherly heart feels every little bit of pain that afflicts my children or that my children cause me. And yet, she says, I rejoice and I bid all of you to rejoice. Why? Because you're children of God, because Christ is your brother, because heaven is your home. In short, because you are divinely privileged after all. After all, how long does earthly life last? It is like a bad dream which vanishes with waking, while in heaven we will be rich, happy, beautiful, and healthy forever. And so that's true. It's uh, very much like uh, St. Teresa of Avila said, you know, th- this life is like a bad night in a bad hotel, or maybe a bad prison cell, as Jimmy Lai is experiencing right now. And then uh, Pius Parsh says, oh, whole, oh, Holy Mother Church, though, heaven is so far away, and this earthly life is so hard and lasts so long. And Mother Church responds, now listen, do you know, my children, why you do not have true joy? <laughs> okay, we're all ears here. Why do you, don't you have true joy? Because you lack a deep, full, strong, and lively faith. Yes, I admit, faith means walking in the dark in some respects. The dove of eternal glory sits upon heaven's high roof, while the sparrow of present satisfaction is in your hand. To release the sparrow in order to get the dove, that requires faith. And only a virile Christianity, consciously aware of divine life and full of such faith that it can sacrifice earthly thrills for eternal peace, only this true and genuine Christianity can attain perfect joy. Nevertheless, it is such Christian joy and such Christian faith which Mother Church expects of us today. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say, rejoice. And that's exactly what what Jimmy Lai has chosen to do. He has freely chosen to go to prison for the sake of freedom, even if the world doesn't get it. And actually, Jimmy, his son, Sebastian Lai, was on a podcast recently, and he talked about the suffering that his dad has endured. And the whole family sees that this is kind of this idea of being redeemed by suffering, even if the world doesn't get it, even though Jimmy could have avoided this. And this is something I don't think many billionaires would do. And he actually wrote, uh, Jimmy Lai, that Stanley Prison, where he's been incarcerated, it's not so bad, because it was actually built by the British. Remember, the British were kind of in control of Hong Kong for for many, many years. The British built it, and he said uh, the CCP hasn't gotten around to messing it up yet. And he has one message for all of his former friends and associates who have turned on him and betrayed him. And the message is forgiveness. And there's kind of a a confession, if you will, by the guy who wrote this piece, uh, William McGurn, former presidential speechwriter, and, and he's actually Jimmy Lai's godfather. He confesses that he kind of doubted Jimmy's faith. He says, quote, On the day of Jimmy's baptism more than 25 years ago, I confess I looked at him and I wondered how much he really believed. 
there were so many social reasons for him to convert. Many of his friends were Catholic. And even as a non-believer, he admired religions for the good that they contributed to society. His wife is a cradle Catholic, and she was thrilled by his conversion. And so he's kind of thinking, you know, maybe he's doing this for only purely human reasons. But William McGurn writes, today I am ashamed of those doubts. And with this trial, Jimmy's finally going to get his opportunity to speak. He would leave prison in a heartbeat and go home to his loving wife and children if he could, but not at the cost of truth. The good book tells us that love endures all things, which creates a dilemma for China and Hong Kong with this trial. The more suffering they inflict, the more powerful Jimmy Lai's witness grows. End of quote. So this is an incredible piece uh, in the Wall Street Journal. We'll put a link to this, by the way, in the show notes. But I wonder what you guys think of all this. I, I, I hadn't really, I've heard of Jimmy Lai. I didn't know that much about the background. So thanks to Father Rocky for sending that to me. I really appreciate that. And let's pray for him because the world is watching. His trial is happening right now. And it is a kangaroo court. Again, he has no bail. Um, every international law has pretty much been violated here. But he is standing up for free speech, no matter the cost. And he's 76 years old. Um, he may well be imprisoned by his own choice for the rest of his life. And, I, and I, I'm so thankful that, that so many are taking a stand uh, for free speech in the world. Elon Musk, notably, as well. And uh, it'd be, it, it, this, is, this would be kind of like Elon Musk going to prison voluntarily for this. So it's, uh, it's intriguing, for sure. The case of the Catholic prisoner, Jimmy Lie. You're listening to The Kale Clark Show on Relevant Radio. We'll be right back after this quick break. 888-914-9149. Explaining the faith so you can explain it to others. It's The Kale Clark Show on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. Hey, welcome back to the program for our final segment on this Tuesday. Hey, we've got some time for your phone calls. If you want to call in, really good chance that you'll get in. 888-914-9149. If you want to comment on what we've been talking about, the trial of Jimmy Lai, who a lot of people uh, stateside don't know that much about, but uh, hopefully we were able to shed some light on his situation. Let's keep him in our prayers. 888-914-9149. Well, yesterday on the program, we talked about your favorite Christmas songs, and a lot of people are asking me, why didn't I mention the ubiquitous song of the season, which is, again, to many people's chagrin, number one on the Billboard charts, Mariah Carey's All I Want for Christmas is You. If you're not familiar with this song, and I don't know what planet you're living on if you haven't heard this before, but let's play a little clip for you. Let's go. I gotta tell you, I can't stand this song. 
I cannot stand the song. I hate it. I think it's cheesy as could possibly be. Now, Christmas hymns, on the other hand, like we've been celebrating on Relevant Radio over the past little while, relevantradio.com slash carols, and you know that if you've checked out the Relevant Radio app, Father Rocky has been sharing a lot about the uh, the hidden meaning in Christmas carols. It's just it's just awesome stuff. Love Christmas carols. Not so fond of popular Christmas music, but but I got to say, there, there's an interesting backstory to "All I Want for Christmas" by Mariah Carey. It is not only number one on the Billboard charts for the fifth straight year. You got to you got to hand it to her. She this is a pretty amazing business move to do this song. And Trung Fan uh, on Twitter has the backstory on this. You know, since its release in the year 1994, Mariah Carey has made estimated. $100 million off of the song alone. The annual royalties are about $3 million every year, usually in, of course, November and December. Now, here's the interesting thing. This song only took, it took actually less than an hour to create. That's pretty That's pretty good payoff in terms of a cost-benefit here. And uh, back in 1993, Mariah Carey released her best-selling album of all time called Music Box. It sold 28 million copies. And by the way, I love... Love, love, love the original classic Mariah Carey albums, her self-titled debut, the first couple albums, fantastic. And she kind of went off the rails a little bit. Well, I mean, she, w- she was married to this guy named Tommy Matola, and she, uh, he is now her ex-husband. He was the head of Sony Music. He was the CEO of Sony Music, and uh, he married Mariah Carey. I- I'm pretty sure he was married to somebody else before this, but you have to fact-check me on this one. But at any rate... Tommy Matola had a, had a heavy hand on her career and, and basically controlled her image the way she was presenting herself. And you could say she kind of was starting to, quote-unquote, be who she really was when she left town. I don't, don't want to get into all that. The music changed. But anyways, the, the, the classic original songs like, I don't want to cry. I don't want to cry. I'm not going to do karaoke kale for you here, but I guess I just did. But I love classic Mariah Carey. Anyways, back in 1993... Tommy Matola and Mariah were kind of thinking up, you know, how are we going to follow up her best-selling album? And Matola suggested, why don't you do a Christmas album? And Mariah Carey's like, yeah, no, it's totally cheesy. It's gimmicky. The only artists who ever release Christmas albums are artists who are kind of on the way out. They're kind of on the downswing. But he said, no, no, you should really do this. Uh, classic Christmas tunes plus one original track. And that's exactly how we came up with All I Want for Christmas. So in the summer of 1994, she decorated her home studio in Christmas swag, and she started working with her writing partner, Walter Afanasiev, who's written a lot of great pop songs. And so apparently, uh, these two have fallen out, by the way, uh, over the song's credit. They've had this multi-decade war, uh, war of words, if you will. But they both agree that the original music and composition, they finished it in about an hour. And Walter Afanasiev said, it was like a game of ping pong. I'd hit the ball to her, she'd hit it back to me, great ideas going back and forth. They polished it up over the next two weeks, and no Christmas hit has come close ever since. And Mariah Carey says, it's actually one of my greatest achievements. Every year, somewhere around November the 1st, she'll tweet out, it's time, hashtag Mariah season. And it's kind of interesting that there haven't been a whole lot of modern Christmas songs. Um, think about this. Most Christmas songs that are popular, that are, not, that are sort of secular songs, if you will, they're over 50 years old. White Christmas by Bing Crosby, 1942. I'll Be Home for Christmas, also by Bing Crosby, came out in 1943. 
Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, 1947. Jingle Bell Rock, 1957. Brenda Lee's Rocking Around the Christmas Tree came out in 1958. Jingle Bells by Ella Fitzgerald, 1960. Maybe the last sort of modern secular Christmas song that went big was Last Christmas by Wham. Remember those guys, George Michael? 1984. And, And really, the next one after that is All I Want for Christmas is You by Mariah Carey, which came out in 1993 or four. And we've been sort of subjected to it ever since. So anyways, um, here's a little clip. This is this is kind of interesting from a musical perspective, why the song kind of has catchy appeal for a lot of people. Check, check this out. Listen to this. This is from Insider. The opening to All I Want for Christmas is by now iconic. You know exactly what song you're listening to as soon as you hear those 13 opening chimes. That tinkling percussion comes from the celesta, an instrument that gets its name from its magical or celestial sound. It's the same instrument you hear at the beginning of a much older Christmas melody, penned by one of the most famous Russian composers of all time. Tchaikovsky's Dance of the Sugar Plum Fairy is maybe the most iconic musical number from the Nutcracker Ballet. Tchaikovsky chose the Celesta for its glittering, crystal-like sound, which stirs up childlike images of sugar and snowflakes. While the instrument was pretty unknown at the time of the first Nutcracker, it soon became a staple of early 20th century Christmas music, and by now has come to signify all those delightful things we associate with the holidays. Mariah, who's had ballerinas open her shows to the Dance of the Sugar Plum Fairy, was probably well aware of this tradition when she sat down to write. So she was aware. She knew about the Celesta. I've never heard of the Celesta, but uh, that was uh, that was pretty sharp there by Mariah. Anyways, let's go to your phone calls. Let's go to the phones right now. Barbara is calling from Los Angeles. Hi, Barbara. Hi, Kale. Uh, listen, I'm so excited. Just going back a few minutes, thank mm-hmm. you so much for giving us an update on Jimmy Lyon Cardinals. You're welcome. Um, I have been praying for them ever since I heard about their plight a real long time ago. I include them in my Divine Mercy prayers every night. And Sebastian, I've heard uh, interviews with Sebastian with tears in his eyes, not knowing what's mm. going on with his dad. Wow. And, uh, and I also pray for the incarcerated priests one of the most recent ones in Venezuela, just anybody in that situation. So I was just so, so grateful that you gave us an update and filled us in on that today and just remembering people to keep up their prayers and, and you know, the incredible heroic Christian witness that, that they are doing, that they're living. Yeah, it's so true, Barbara, and, and thank you very much for that phone call, and thanks to Father Rocky as well for, for sending me that piece, because I, I thought, wow, this is amazing. I have to share this, because so many people don't know uh, about the plight of Jimmy Lai and, and his fight for freedom, and, and he, he was, uh, wow, they, uh, we'll, send a, uh, we'll put a link to the article, like I said, in the show notes, and there's a great uh, embedded video in there, too, and it's it's just so amazing, Jimmy Lai talking with, with great passion about the need for genuine faith to put 
your money where your mouth is, so to speak. And he has a lot of money. He could have used it to escape. He could have gone to Japan. He could have gone to Paris. But instead, he freely chose to go to prison because he's a man of principle and, and real faith. And this is exactly what we need. Great Catholic witnesses, uh, no matter what the cost. And he is paying a very, very heavy cost uh, to follow his conscience. So, wow, powerful, powerful stuff. Thanks for listening to The Kale Clark Show today. We will be back, of course, tomorrow. I'll also, yeah, I'm going to do something kind of different on The Faith Explained tomorrow. We're going to take a little break from our Roman series. We're about halfway through, so it's a good time to talk a little bit more about the theology of Advent and get you really hyped for this last kind of week of Advent. I know, the fourth week of Advent's only a day. It's only one Sunday, and then we've got Christmas, so let's make the most of it. You're listening to The Kale Clark Show. You have just listened to it. I'll be back. It never ends. You can listen to the podcast. Miranda Sinisteros produced. Patrick Alog took your phone calls. Jim Shaper with an assist there production-wise. Take it away, Michaela. Thank you for listening to my daddy.